coup with perceptions of crime versus actual crime. According to Pew, in 20 of the 24 Gallup surveys conducted between the year 1993 and 2020, at least 60% of U.S. adults have said there is more crime nationally than there was the year before, despite the general downward trend in national violent and property crime rates in most of that period, according to all right. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm just going to take a bit of a break here. Um, we have been sharing a podcast from uh, Citations Needed. This was episode 142, which came out on August 4th. Do have a lot of other info to get to on the show today. Going to take a bit of a music break, and then we'll be back with some more. Going up a song called Wandering Star by Polisa. Thanks. 
Ooh, okay. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, low energy today. Didn't want to share some upcoming events that are happening. And if you happen to be listening right now live on Thursday, September 9th, um, tonight is the art auction. It's the Coalition on Homelessness 21st Art Auction. And there is a live auction happening tonight, September 8th. Excuse me, September 9th, uh, live at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. There's uh, silent auction bidding, which um, opens tonight at 5.30 p.m. There's also a silent auction bidding, and which closes and raffles announced on September 23rd at 12 noon. And I thought there's also other ways you can also, um, if you can't make it tonight, also support um, the art auction. Take a look right now while... We uh, <laughs> shared this info. Yeah, just uh, there's a lot going on. And also I recognize that in the podcast that we just shared, lots of information there as well. All right, so there's a link to the webinar where you can register to be part of the live auction tonight on Thursday. And I'm also going to see, because I do recognize some folks may be listening to this Afterwards, I'm going to see about other ways. Okay. You can support art. I mean, how great is that? You get to support people. You buy art. Um, it's a it's a win-win. So, yeah. Live auction happening tonight. And let's see. Bidding closes at September 23rd at noon. Okay, so it opens tonight, and it closes September 23rd at noon. So if you can't make it tonight, Thursday the 9th, you can still bid um, until September 23rd. I'm going to post a link to this info on our website, weeklyrev.org, where you can find the art auction info. And that's for no matter where you are in the world, um, you can help support. You can also make a donation, and you can support the Coalition on Homelessness. So please do that. Yeah. Also, if you type in Coalition on Homelessness uh, San Francisco, you should be able to find that info there before we put it up here on our website. Ooh, I'm tired. I'm also just dehydrated. It's also just a lot. There's a lot. Excuse me. Mm. That was very, very professional. <laughs> I also wanted to share another event that's happening. Um, this is happening from the EFF, which is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yeah, that's what they are, right? Um, yeah, Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF. They do a lot of work in terms of rights in regards to tech and ethics in tech. So next Wednesday, September 15th, from 9 p.m. to 5 p.m., there's going to be an online event called Fire and Fury, Throwing a Monkey Wrench at Big Tech. And um, this is by the Ethics in Technology Coalition. Ethics in Tech invites you to a full-day conference on the role big tech plays in surveillance, war, and peace. Ethics in Tech is a member of the EFF, a network of grassroots organizations across the country uh, committed to promoting digital rights. Please check out their event page to learn more. And then they say, uh, from the organizers, hear from activists and community leaders on what matters most as it relates to surveillance, war, and peace? Ethics and Tech brings you a full day of speakers, including privacy and peace activists, journals, journalists, and other experts in the field, all topped with some end-of-day stand-up comedy. Please join in. Tickets are available 
at the button below on a sliding scale. And if you use the promo code EFA, you can save 30% on tickets. And you can feel free to share the code on any form of communication, including social media. All right. Now, if you click on the link, our next event. Ooh, there's a video. I'm I'm clearly all about playing videos and uh, hearing other people's voices today. So let's share this. Oh, it's just a link to the website. It's not an actual video. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. Free novel. Ethics in tech and lack thereof. Sleeping under the cell tower tells... Oh, cool. There's like a book about that too. You can get a free download of it called um, Ethics in Tech and lack thereof. Cool. So we'll also share a link to this on our website. And yeah, did want to share these events. What else is there? Oh, there's so much else that's going on too. There's an article I'm not going to get a chance to read, but I did want to share the headline of, and we'll post a link to it on our website. Oh, I've got so many tabs open. Um, How to Give Land Back. This is from Shareable, and this just came out September 7th, 2021, by Aaron Fernando. So we'll share that. I also, ahead of time, tend to... Um, oh, goodness. Oh, there's so many articles. Uh, if you were to see... This list here, there's at least 10 articles that I uh, haven't quite gotten to yet. There's also, I haven't mentioned it on the show too much, about Line 3 resistance, and of course the powers that be are trying to build another fucking pipeline, Line 3 replacement pipeline, uh, tar sands oil export. Um, it received final permit approval in November 2020, and they were going to finish construction in Minnesota, and so far many people have been protesting this, and unfortunately... So far, there have been nearly 150 arrests of water protectors by the end of 2021. There's a lot of information on it um, at Unicorn Riot, um, including videos. And um, this is in St. Louis County, Minnesota. Um, yeah, let's see if we can get some audio from this as well. Never seems to be enough time to get to everything. I'm locking down today because I am the descendant of colonizers. I am of European descent. My family line goes back to the Mayflower. Um, I'm the 13th generation in my family to be colonizing this land. When I learned that over two years ago, it really made me have to reflect and have to think about where I fit in the scheme of the history of colonization that um, has never stopped. This is colonization. This is what it looks like. This is the extraction of natural resources. This is the genocide of indigenous people. And it's happening now in my lifetime, like it's been happening for hundreds of years. We all have to reflect on what we're doing here and how much we're willing to sacrifice but actually how much we're willing to gain in order to do what's right.
have uh, allies over here on this beautiful uh, trailer. Uh, 14 people locked down to it. And then over here, probably about 100 yards down the road, you have indigenous women, femmes, two-spirit, and men locked to a car to try to stop uh, Enbridge workers from accessing the site, leaving or entering. Now, locked down to this van is indigenous. We are fucking rising up. We're here. Our direct support, indigenous, brown people, BIPOC people, fuck yes. And this run. Our fucking right as indigenous. We are the earth defending itself. That's what people love that. We are. We're the earth defending itself. Strivance. Strivance. When the land is under attack, when the waters are under attack, we fucking stand up and we fight back. And there's joy in that. This is radical joy. I will not stand by and watch this shit happen. Just like everyone here will not stand by and watch this shit happen. We know what happens. There are similarities and struggles all over, not just here in the United States, not just in Canada, but also in fucking Palestine. Greater resistance between genocide and enslavement of indigenous peoples. Uh, and greater extent in solidarity with indigenous peoples. Many disenfranchised persons being affected and destroyed by the spreading of global capitalism. We actually relatives, not only to the Anishinaabe, but the people territory but to the land water we are here with you our love to all the front lines out there all of the indigenous front lines are out there took actions yesterday took actions today and will continue to take actions from here on forward because indigenous resistance will not die we will not die they are temporary we are forever fuck Enbridge fuck all corporate profit fuck capitalism Fuck colonialism, fuck Biden, fuck all that settler colonial bullshit. Moment, we're recognizing the power that we have, our individual power, our collective power, and we're taking it back. We're no longer allowing the systems to tell us that uh, that they're gonna allow the bureaucracy to push this pipeline through the community, that they're gonna allow uh, the trafficking of indigenous women. They're gonna continue put this ongoing, you know, colonization through our homeland. Will not stop fighting line three. They can continue to push this down people's throats here in northern Minnesota. But we're not going to tolerate this. Done. We're drawing the line here. And we're going to continue fighting. Fighting even when it is all continuing to be buried. Line 3 will be shut down. No questions asked. I'm currently playing some videos from Unicorn Riot. You can find more info at unicornriot.ninja. And of course, this all ties in because the folks who are arresting the water protectors are cops.
I'm going to play one more video and then I'll be wrapping up the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. For more info, go to weeklyrev.org. You can find ways to support the show, help spread the word, donate, etc. And check out previous episodes as well. Bill just um, showed up this morning. They're currently just right on the other side of this fence here, um, putting the together, putting the pad together. Uh, this is the longest site of the entire uh, route uh, for them to go. I think it's about a quarter mile. They have to go underground. So we're thinking it might take them a few weeks, but it's taking them day project so say it's a replacement, not a replacement. They're just um, putting a bigger pipe in there and the old ones will rust decay and eventually break and spill. And there's never not been a company not to spill. So there's 22 crossings and that's a lot of chances for it to mess up. They already busted through one aquifer poisoning uh, and ruining it. So there's a lot of chances there for that to happen again. Water is life. That's why we're here. That's why we're standing here. Not only for ourselves, but for future generations. And even the people who don't understand, we're here for them too. So there's plenty of more videos here. Like there's a lot more. Um, so please do support um, all the folks, their protectors, and also Unicorn Riot who has shared all this info. Um, and we have a link to the page over at ours, weeklyrev.org, and that'll be up later today. Um, okay, gonna play some music and then we'll be we'll be out. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Um, hopefully this show was informative and. Uh, provided some ways that folks can show up and try to make the world a little bit more equitable. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week.
of swimming through a sea of podcasts.
Howdy folks, this is Finch bringing you another episode of Always Free Radio, a show all about rainbow gatherings and the people that participate in them. This show airs weekly on Tuesdays every week on Mutiny Radio, the pirate radio station coming at you from the Mission District in San Francisco, California. You can tune into this show by turning on mutinyradio.fm any Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. San Francisco time, which is the Pacific time zone. You can also download this show after it airs on on any week by going to wherever you get your podcasts and searching for Always Free, all one word, spelled A-L-L-W-A-Y-S-F-R-E-E. Again, Always Free as one word, and you can download this podcast and all the previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The next few weeks of this show will be pre-recorded before they air because your regular host, Roach, and your semi-regular co-host, myself, will be out in the world again, exploring that rainbow magic for ourselves. Hopefully, at some point, we will be able to air some Sounds from the Rainbow 2021 for you all. Until then, enjoy this special pre-recorded podcast. During the first four weeks of June, we will also be airing a 21-year-old public radio segment in four parts from the 2000 Montana Gathering. We will also, as always, be sharing rainbow music and stories and news as it becomes available. What is happening with the gathering this year? Good question. Here are a couple responses from Karen Zerk and Karen Shamalama Mama, respectively. You can often find both of these Karens at the Information and Rumor Control booth. From Karen Zerk, this update is from May 23rd, 2021, so about a week ago. This year is shaping up to be multiple smaller gatherings and or campouts over the July 4th Prayer for World Peace. Some of these gatherings will have an emphasis on COVID-19 safety protocols, others perhaps not so much. Many people may choose not to gather. The idea is not to have one large gathering, but to spread points of light around the land. The pandemic is still ongoing, and many of us take this very seriously. The idea is that that of the prism, where the light comes in and refracts out to many points around the USA. A lot of this is off the radar and very confusing. There are frequent Zoom webinars slash conference calls where the plans are being discussed and people are being asked to plug into different efforts. If you want the webinar slash call information, please reach out to me at kzerk at earthlink.net and I'll send you the information. That's kzerk, spelled K-Z-I-R-K, at earthlink.net. That's E-A-R-T-H. L-I-N-K dot net. The Zoom is open 24-7, but I know there are specific times when more people are dialed in. You can join from any old phone by calling the access numbers, but toll slash long distance charges apply if you do not have unlimited long distance on your phone. I know of prayers for peace on July 4th being focalized in the Northeast, Northwest, and Southwest. There may be more. And the next update from Karen Shamalama Mama. So last year, a pandemic swept the planet. 
a bunch of folks from Rainbow started talking online and started having conference calls by telephone every other evening for weeks and months, listening to each other's concerns and feelings, and it seemed like the general sense of most of the people on those calls was that it was inappropriate to travel across country and gather thousands of people into one place. These people were on board with an idea they dubbed Home from Home, and many of them felt that the Idaho gathering should be postponed until it was safer for the public health to gather together. There were, of course, other people who felt that people were overreacting, that not gathering was a submission to government authorities, and really the threat was not as bad as many were making it out to be. Many individuals and kitchen crews and camps chose to Ohm from Home July 2020, and about 400 to 600 people came to Idaho and went through the usual process of having a gathering, including Spring Council, Gathering, and Vision Council, the choosing of the next year's region. They chose New Mexico or Arizona as the region they wanted to gather in July 2021. Meanwhile, many who owned from home felt that those who went to gather in Idaho were being irresponsible, and many of those who went to Idaho felt that those at home had no right to persuade others to do the same. There was a lot of contention and animosity between folks. It was a very challenging time for family. This summer, folks started talking together again about what they wanted to do in July 2021. Many of those who owned from home were ready to gather again, but some wanted to be in smaller groups, closer to home, and chose to create smaller, health-conscious gatherings over the 4th in their own bioregions. These were dubbed prism gatherings, the metaphor being that when light shines through a prism, it creates many colors of the rainbow, a refraction of our light, not a division. Some rainbow family really dislike this idea of prism gatherings. Many of those people who gathered in Idaho in 2020 are the ones focalizing the Southwest gathering in Arizona or New Mexico. Some folks going to the New Mexico slash Arizona gathering are saying that their gathering is the official annual gathering, the real gathering. Others going to New Mexico, Arizona are in full support of there being multiple small gatherings around the United States of America. It seems to me that most folks in general have grown tired of being at odds with each other and feel that prism gatherings are a great compromise, a way forward, allowing everyone to follow their heart this summer. It looks like there will be three rainbow gatherings over the 4th of July this summer and multiple rainbow family campouts, potlucks, and picnics all over the country. New Mexico or Arizona Rainbow Gathering, July 1st through 7th, 2021. Idaho Rainbow Gathering, July 1st through 7th, 2021. Pennsylvania Prism Rainbow Gathering, June 20th to July 4th, 2021. Please note that Pennsylvania's dates are a little different from usual July starting dates. This week's episode is dedicated with love to the Cumberland Rainbow Gathering, which I believe is happening this week, it being June 1st when this episode airs. Uh, we're recording it on Sunday, May 30th, and as of today, there was a last-minute announcement that Cumberland was canceled because of lack of energy at seed camp, and then a hasty retraction of that statement with happy, excited, enthusiastic people heading to site and requesting more backup and good people to help do a good seed camp. So 
Now, it being a few days later, I'm going to go and assume that all those things went perfectly and the Cumberland Gathering is happening beautifully. And if anybody wants to know where it is or when, I recommend that you call your family in Kentucky and get the straight poop because over here in California, I'm not sure of the exact details. So, because of the gathering happening in Kentucky right now, I was going to do a Cumberland-style uh, episode. Um, we don't have any uh, Cumberland-specific content, but I do have Butterfly Bill's story of the Kentucky gathering, which was one half of a split gathering in 1993, and I'll be airing a recording of myself reading that story to y'all. And we're also going to be playing some rainbow music from the similar region as Kentucky. We've got a couple of songs from the West Virginia gathering and a couple of songs from the Tennessee gathering. Uh, so all of that coming up. Enjoy the show. I want you to lead me through the speaking of language so delicate and gentle, so peaceful and clear, so adorning and resolute that the syllables escape from my conscience in the haste of fleeting, tortured prisons. Our synchronous tones of subtle clarity will be as theirs, emerging into the sharp light of morning in Petrichor. With these pronunciations, you and I shall liberate undisturbed elations, arousing vibrations of freedom. And before these emanating frequencies climax, there is no room for hesitation, and our words will shock, and our phrases will stupefy, and our voices will neutralize <laughs> the awkward paces of life in uncertainty. At this stalling juncture, whilst your serene stare severs my episode of insecure glancing, into reality a new time and rhyme our uttering shall puncture. The stuttering shall rupture the moment as far and as wide as it hangs. Chapter 12, The Hungry Drum Gathering, Kentucky, 1993. I left for Kentucky in the poorest monetary circumstances that I have ever been in before traveling to any gathering. I calculated that I had barely enough gas money to get there and back, and then maybe about $30 more. I was too afraid of running out before I got back to Lawrence to spend any money on a private food stash, but I did stop at a laundromat after I had got deep into Kentucky and wash all of the clothes I had in the van so that I would have a maximum supply of clean ones at the gathering. I ate hot dogs at gas station convenience stores, and when the sun was setting on the first day and I was in southern Illinois, I left the interstate and found a large cornfield that had an out-of-the-way clearing in it where I parked and slept. I got out of there when I saw the first blue glow in the east. The next day, I ultimately went down I-75 toward the southeast corner of Kentucky until about 40 miles north of the Tennessee border. Then I entered the Daniel Boone National Forest to the west and drove maybe 20 more miles. The nearest towns to the site were London and Corbin. I arrived at the site at about 3 in the afternoon after I drove down a long, straight stretch of dirt road that was out in a large grassy field and came to a T-intersection with another road that crossed it. There was a makeshift tent made of tarps to the right side of the road just before it and a larger one on the side beyond it. A brother came up to me and said welcome home, then directed me to the left, where there was more flat, sunny grassland and vehicles mostly lined up in rows parking lot style. 
There was no shade anywhere near, and it was unthinkable to spend any time in my van during the day when the sun was high. The crossbar road on the T was the main trail that led in a straight line into the gathering site, the beginnings of which were near enough to see from the parking lot about a quarter of a mile away. As I was walking in for the first time, I saw a bulletin board made of plywood nailed to two logs set into the ground, and there were several people stopped in front of it reading it. Stapled to it was a sheet of notebook paper with a ballpoint pen writing on it and announced that there had been a consensus made at Spring Council that the gathering site be a place in Alabama and that the announcement for Kentucky had been sent out prematurely by some people who had got impatient with Spring Council taking so long to make a decision and had decided to take the matter into their own hands. But some people had already left for Kentucky with no knowledge of this, as I had, and they had already constructed kitchens and other infrastructure and didn't want to move. The last sentence said, as a result, it looks like there are now two gatherings with good people going to each. This pissed me off when I first saw it. I had been coming with the anticipation of a full-blown national gathering with all of its music and art augmented by the numbers, but it looked like it was only going to be at best a large regional. There were directions to the other gathering, which was about 300 miles away, but I knew I didn't have the resources to go that extra distance, so I had no choice but to stay at this one. There were many people who tried to show up at both and only stayed here for a few days and left just as my experience with them was starting to get good. And Robbie and Felipe and some of the others I was looking forward to seeing again went to Alabama and stayed. So this gathering has been come to be called by most rainbows the split gathering. This has not happened again. All national gatherings since then have been all together on one site. But I gave this gathering another name for myself. Not having much in the way of private stash, I was totally dependent at this gathering on the kitchen and the generosity of individuals for the food I got. There were also not as many different kitchens as are usual at a national gathering, and many of the good ones, including Felipe's Kid Village, had gone to Alabama. So there were periods of feast, but longer ones of famine. As a result, though I certainly wasn't starving, there was a residual feeling of hunger in the background that persisted in everything I did. But one kitchen with a good reputation that did come to this gathering was Turtle Soup, the one that was near to my tent in Vermont that I heard such electric drumming coming from. And many of those drummers that I had heard there traveled with this kitchen and had come here, and they attracted lots of other good drummers, and they eagerly accepted my five-gallon drum into their midst. There was one particularly magic evening when I was with a bunch of people who could do five-fourths and seven-eighths time. This gathering was to be renowned for some outstanding drumming, and I was usually hungry. So for me, this was the Hungry Drum Gathering. After reading the sign that was by the side of the road, I continued on the way in. This was the 22nd of June, a week before the official starting day of the gathering. Only the welcome home camp around the road intersection had been developed to anything like a finished state. The rest of the gathering was still in seed camp stage. The road made a 90-degree turn to the left with a rounded corner, and beyond that 
there were trees shading the sides. It continued straight for another quarter of a mile, then the graded part of the road ended, and two tire tracks continued into some wooded hills. About halfway to the end of the graded section, there was a parting in the trees along the side, and I looked out over a circular valley with steep cliffs maybe fifty feet high on three sides. The distant side opened out to a stream beyond it and a grassy flood plain. Someone later told me this was once an open pit mine. It had now been overgrown for years with scattered groves of mostly deciduous trees and patches of bushes with tall grass covering the ground in between. I walked around on the valley floor and tried to imagine it filled with the noise of July 3rd in the evening. But as the gathering progressed, relatively few people went down into the valley. The initial climb down from the road to the flat floor below was a stretch that was short but steep and strenuous, and lots of people didn't want to make the effort. Most of the kitchens, including turtle soup, set up on the side of the road above, and trading circle extended for almost the length of it. I spent most of my time topside. The only sizable entity that set up down below, on the far side, was a kid village, and I remember being motivated to make the trek there only twice. They did have dinner circle down in a large grassy meadow that was a little bit farther than the center of the bowl, and that was sometimes the only time of the day I made the descent. But some of the kitchens on the road above were serving at the same time, and there were a few times that there was interesting music happening above, and I skipped inner circle. There was a brother who spoke down there with a booming voice, one of the loudest I have ever seen from a human, and he introduced himself by saying that he had been asked by some others to address the circle precisely because of this ability that he was showing now. He said he had just come from the Alabama gathering and wanted to report the news from there. His exact words I don't remember, and my attention was more focused on his amazing exclamatory abilities, but they were approximately like these. There are some what folks call gray beards, the people who have been coming to gatherings for years, and there are others that we might call puppies, these new inexperienced folks that are glad to have the gray beards teach them the ways of the gathering. But now there are an increasing number of folks that have been coming to gatherings long enough that you wouldn't want to call them puppies anymore. They are now able to do things like set up kitchens and get shitters dug and do all the other things you need to do to make a gathering, all without the help of the gray beards. And some of these former puppies are feeling disrespected by the graybeards and don't see why they should have to obey them if they can all now do their own thing. So as a result, there are many here that aren't going to move and the fact that this gathering will be split will be something everybody will have to accept. This brother's name was Water, singing on the rocks, and his appearance was certainly that of a gray beard, an actual gray beard with streaks of white and long hair to match. We all called him Water in conversation. There was another gray beard who looked a lot like him and who also spoke at Dinner Circle, preaching Rap 107 and placing special emphasis on Bury Your Shit. His name was Joseph Greenfeather. I saw him and talked with him many times away from the circle. He was intimately involved with setup and the logistics of the gathering, another person that I would at least have to call a focalizer if I couldn't say leader. He was the one whom I went to for news of what was going on, since the information booth at this gathering wasn't as continuously manned as usual. Sometimes I saw him walking on main trail in a dark green and blue kilt, a military beret with green feathers stuck on it, and a shirt with medals hanging from it, playing a Scottish bagpipe.
I don't remember any long, day-long cloudy days at this gathering, and when there was any rain, it never lasted for more than a few hours before moving on. One afternoon, I was in turtle soup when a lot of people decided to take all their clothes off and take a natural shower, and an image persists to this day of a big chubby woman yelling, Woo! and laughing in a high voice when the rain suddenly turned into a brief downpour. Most of the time, the sky was clear and the sun shone down and warmed the air to above 90 degrees by mid-morning. I spent most of the daytime going naked, and this sometimes brought me reactions from other people which covered about the whole range of possible degrees of approval. Once when I was walking back to the parking lot and a man coming in with a fully loaded backpack grinned and said to his friend walking with him, This looks like a rainbow gathering. Another time, I was talking with a brother in road dog garb, a blue jeans, no shirt, and a cowboy hat, and the subject of going without clothes on had arisen in the conversation among the few of us who were there. At one point, he said to me, With a weenie like that, I'd cover it up. I gave him a giggling smirk and said that some other people had told me it was cute. There was another time I was standing in trading circle and I heard a click and saw down the road to see in the distance a young woman putting a camera back in her bag with a smile on her face. This was usually regarded as contrary to something that is almost every version of Rap 107. Do not take photographs of people without asking for permission. Some things that people are afraid of are that a picture of your naked body might appear on someone's pornographic webpage, or that your employer might find out that you went to a place where there are hippies who run around naked and take drugs and not consider that appropriate for your profession, or that some detective or government agent might be able to track you down if you're in trouble with the law. But I just watched her put her camera away from afar and didn't even go up to her. I regarded this as a compliment that I didn't really have to fear. And another time, when I was walking back to the parking lot, I heard a woman's voice exclaiming in a nasal southern accent, Oh my God! I looked over to where the sound had come from and saw her leaning over the tailgate of a pickup truck, shaking her head. She was a local and probably visiting the gathering for the first time. I looked back as I continued walking and saw her leaning over to a woman she was with and pointing at me with a look on her face that indicated she was extremely approving. In the years since, I have replayed that, oh my god, many times in my head whenever I wanted to contemplate something that soothes my self-esteem. In the middle of the parking lot, going lengthwise and on the far side of the parking lot from the road, three long school buses and a few vans were parked in a circle. In the space in the middle there was a campfire, and on the radio antenna of one of the buses was a small pennant with the letters A-CAMP. I was parked a few rows of vehicles away, not near enough that I had to hear their voice noise in detail, but I occasionally heard whoops and hollers and voices raised in anger coming from their direction in the distance. This A-camp was not as large as the one in Vermont, but it was still obnoxious enough that I heard complaints about them from people speaking at dinner circle and from people I got into conversations with in kitchens. They were roaming the parking lot to spange, ask for spare change from, people who were going to and from their cars and sometimes being intimidating about it. Some large piles of aluminum cans were starting to accumulate, and this was still in the days when pop tabs separated from the cans completely when you opened them, and they were just being thrown on the ground along with their cigarette butts. 
One night I returned to my van after spending the evening drumming, and I found a man asleep with his rump on the ground and his back leaned against the side door of my van. I jostled him awake and tried telling him that this was my van and I had to get the door, to which he responded in a slurred speech until he finally got up and staggered away. It was scary for a few minutes. Another morning I was walking past the welcome home tent on the way in, and I heard coming from under the tarp a hoarse rasping voice that sounded like it was coming from the image I had built up over the years of a hardcore A-camper, saying, I come here every year to be with my family. This is the only family I've got. And this family probably really was one of the few places where a man like him could find any kind of acceptance and companionship. On the morning of the 6th, I awoke and found that all the buses were gone and the area abandoned, but with the piles of cans and other debris still there, along with some abandoned plastic coolers, old clothes, and broken folding chairs, I asked a few people what had happened and finally found Greenfeather, who told me that he and several other people had all gone together to talk with them, and they had been told to stop all their disturbances or we were going to burn their, their buses and set them by the side of the road. The A-campers had apparently taken this threat seriously and laughed. On the 8th, for my contribution to clean-up, I took upon myself the task of cleaning up A-camp, and I wound up doing most of it single-handedly. I was able to get some trash bags from Welcome Home, and I rounded up the cans into a couple of dozens of them, and got down on all fours and picked up all the pop tabs. Finally, there was one big pile of bags and furniture pieces which could easily be loaded by someone else onto a flatbed truck. The whole job took about five hours in the sunshine. About two and a half hours into it, a brother offered me a can of Coke from an ice cooler. After I was done with the job and I had told him I was, I asked if I could have another Coke, but he sternly reminded me that I had already had one.
Just after you rounded the bend in the main road to enter the main gathering area, there was a kitchen with a large leaning tarp, a metal table, a wood pile, and a dishwashing station, all just behind a bliss fire pit. It had originally been set up by a man named Chico, and he called it the Welcome Home Kitchen, even though there was some name confusion with the other camp down the road. This place I wound up spending a lot of time in and getting into some memorable movies. Chico was still young, but starting toward middle age, and slightly Mexican-looking with hippie-clad hippie-length black hair and a thin mustache, but his voice talked in a white-sounding southern accent. This was a brother whom I was going to see grow a great deal during coming gatherings, until Chico's kitchen was to become a respected name among gatherers. But this was his first time at trying to be a kitchen ogre, and there were many things he did at this gathering that I had difficulties with. I started taking it as a challenge to myself to see if I could succeed at finally getting on his good side. This kitchen had not been set up by a group of people who traveled together to gatherings year after year like most principal kitchens. This had been mostly Chico's individual creation, and he had to attract all of his workers from off the trail. He was always talking to people as they rounded the corner on main trail coming in, trying to talk them into working in his kitchen. He tried various ways of motivating you if you were standing in line or over at Bliss Pit Eating. Sometimes it would be, Hey, I'd really appreciate it if some of you would. Sometimes it was, If you would like to do some work for the food that you are getting here. Sometimes he might so far go so far as, Why don't some of you Bliss Ninnies, instead of sitting on your asses by the fire and asking people to dose you, if people did things wrong, he often told them with anger in his voice, and he could argue stubbornly with someone trying to tell him he himself was doing something wrong. And praise didn't come too often from him, but it did sometimes, and that kept me still trying to get find ways to work in peace with him. But lots of other people gave up on him, and he got some people to stay and work for him for a few days, but I didn't see anyone lasting until the end. But one afternoon, late in June, he did find someone who went on a binge and dug an enormous compost pit, more than six feet deep. Since his kitchen was at the entrance to the rest of the gathering, all people carrying any kind of supplies had to pass by him, and he was always asking them to drop, off at his, drop them off at his kitchen, even if they were on their way to some other kitchen or the main supply tent. This sometimes got him into some vocal conflicts with people from those other places the supplies were intended for. There were no springs on the site, nor any fast-running streams, so all the water for the gathering came in a big metal tank that was mounted on the chassis of a pickup truck that, fortunately for Chico, regularly parked at the bend in the road not far from his kitchen. He was most blatant about allowing only those he regarded as the members of his core crew access to goodies like sweets and meat, which he had no qualms about cooking, and other things that didn't come in large enough quantities to be served out to all comers. One day, a tall, husky, bearded guy came into the gathering with a big plastic trash bag full of dried, homegrown marijuana leaves. He also carried a box of sandwich baggies that he peeled out and filled with leaves to give out to people he chose as he went on his way. He stopped in front of the cutting table, filled a baggie with weed, and gave it to Chico, who was sitting on a log behind it. The first thing he did after getting it was pull out the belt on his pants and tuck it down in the waistband so that it almost sat on top of his balls, then tighten the belt again while saying, This is for the kitchen. 
I wanted to suggest that the brother wanted it to be passed out to all just as he was doing himself, but I suppressed the impulse. On the morning of the 4th of July, I managed to score some breakfast from him, so I stuck around and started to chop up some thick logs on the woodpile. The silence wasn't being observed this far away from main circle, and we were talking to each other. On the cutting table was a box with some cinnamon breakfast rolls that had come from a commercial bakery. I took one of them and started to eat it, and he came around, said a few expletives, and told me those were for the people who were working in the kitchen, and I lifted up the axe I was carrying and pointed to what I was doing over by the woodpile. I finally got a reluctant, oh, all right, from him, and I finished the roll and went back to work. Now I was determined to show him that I was not a bliss ninny, and I finished the woodpile and asked him if he had any more, to which he replied no. This movie had been going on for what felt like about two hours. I left the kitchen to go to Main Meadow for the silent meditation at what I thought was about ten o'clock, but when I got to the gap in the trees and the overlook, I saw people running around below with multicolored banners on poles, and I realized I had completely missed the meditation. But I rationalized that what I had just gone through in the kitchen might have had more to do with finding ways to peace than sitting down there. At this gathering, he was an example of a person I was to see many times in future gatherings. The pleading man, trying to start a kitchen and getting frustrated with trying to find people who would help him and letting the anger that comes with that frustration make him do things that alienate people even more and produce even more frustration. But I was to see Chico again at a gathering three years later with a much more successful kitchen and a growing confidence that inspired more of that feeling in others. One afternoon, a man was asking around for musicians to go along on a magic hat parade. This was where people walked the trails and went around to kitchens with a container, usually a five-gallon bucket, that people could put money into. This happened in addition to the carrying around at dinner circle. At least one other person accompanied the bucket bearer, and hopefully several musicians could be found to go along with it and make a parade, to attract attention and to reinforce the feeling that this truly was the magic hat and not some person fraudulently collecting for himself. We had already found a singing guitar player, and I had a little metal dumbbeck drum with a five-inch diameter head that I could attach to a web belt and play while walking, so we went around while he sang, Magic Hat, Magic Hat, oh, oh, oh Magic Hat, to a tune he was making up on the spot. Then another man joined us, and I, got, I met for the first time a person I would be interacting with at many gatherings to come. He told me, his name was Vermin Supreme. He was wearing a pair of cut-off jeans, no shirt, and a ve denim vest that was covered with a multicolored variety of sew-on patches with embroidered lettering. On his head was an Afro hairdo wig dyed in rainbow colors and a red rubber clown nose. He was carrying a dead tree branch from which he had been hanging on a ball, a string, a ball about a foot and a half in diameter covered with little square mirrors and reflected the sunlight and put little polka dots of light all over everything around it. "'Behold the disco ball,' he said. "'Gaze upon its magnificence. "'Bring your hands near to it "'and soak up its remarkable healing power. "'You folks, right here is all you need "'to attain enlightenment, perfect health, "'and all the sex you want.' "'He showed it to people "'and continued to talk in a smooth and rapid "'carnival barker delivery, "'inviting people to come up and worship it "'after putting something in the magic hat. 
The next day, he came to Trading Circle and performed some more shticks. Would anybody like to join me in this great game? It's called the Barbie Toss! Then he threw a plastic ring on the ground and walked away a few paces and threw a nude Barbie doll toward it and picked it up and did it again a few times, throwing Barbie so that she tumbled head over heels and wound up with her legs spread in some sometimes undignified positions. Another thing he did was take out a Kermit the Frog puppet and move its mouth while he sang, It's not easy being dead. Nobody seemed to get his joke, and I didn't either, and he finally said with a mild tone of disappointment, I guess nobody here knows what I am referring to. Then another brother got up from where he was singing, sitting and said that he knew what it was and proceeded to sing all the words to the Sesame Street song It Isn't Easy Being Green while Vermin manipulated the puppet. It was the first time I had heard the song and it was a magic performance that Vermin said to me later it almost brought tears to his eyes. He told us that he had had his name legally changed to Vermin Supreme. When not at gatherings, he liked to show up at political campaign events and put on surprise street theater performances. During every presidential election, he ran a bogus campaign, complete with bumper stickers with slogans like, A friendly fascist, a tyrant you can trust, let him run your life, he knows what's best for you. The rationale behind his name, as he told me, all politicians are in fact vermin. I am the vermin supreme. Therefore, I am the most qualified candidate in this race. There was another performance at this gathering that I regarded as comic, but it wasn't intended to be by the performers. As I had seen before in Vermont, at least at once every morning, a single-engine high-wing plane like a small Cessna would fly over the gathering and make several large circles over the populated parts of the gathering site. This usually happened somewhere around ten in the morning. The sound of the engine would approach and recede, and it would continue for the greater part of an hour. At other times, I would see a helicopter making rounds of the site, and also of the forest beyond it. Some people told me that the aircraft were looking for marijuana fields. There were allegedly a number of growers in the area, and there was concern expressed by some folks at Dinner Circle that some rainbow gatherers might happen upon a field and do some harvesting. Another person told me that he had talked with some friends of his who were growers, and they had told him they were ready to accept it as fate or karma if anything like that happened to them. Then one afternoon, an olive drab-colored helicopter came down and landed in the meadow, south of the parking lot, a few hundred yards from the road. I was standing on the road looking, and a brother from the parking crew came up and announced to all who were standing there that they had heard on the radio that the helicopter had to make an emergency landing and to stay here on the road and not walk over to it. I saw some people in khaki clothes walking around in the distance. Then, on the road leading in, there came toward us a column of maybe 20 military vehicles, trucks, jeeps, and armored personnel carriers with people sitting in and on top of them clad in olive drab fatigues, many carrying rifles. They were all decked out for combat, and there were some apprehensive looks on their faces as they came up to the intersection and turned onto the road that ran by the parking lot and passed me and an increasing number of gatherers that were coming from the parking lot. Lot. 
but i just watched the whole procession like it was a parade and so did everyone around me no rainbow shouted anything provocative instead we were looking at each other with expressions of both bewilderment and amusement the column passed all of us and some of the vehicles continued on the road in into the hills beyond and a little later i saw some of the vehicles reappear over by the helicopter and park around it it took off again after a few hours vision council started on the seventh in a small clearing in the trees that had enough tree branches extending over it that it was mostly shady there was concern expressed by many of the people there about what should be done if the vision council in alabama decided on something different from what this council decided but there were also some people who carried on like an independent decision could be made here several of them wanted to go to wisconsin there were some others wanted to go back to the Rocky Mountain West. I sat there from the opening at noon until maybe five hours later. Again, there was the long repetitious speeches and off-subject heart songs and other annoyance that had made these New England councils so tedious. After dinner circle, I dropped in again to see if there had been any progress, and there didn't seem like any. But... At this council, they weren't going to continue it until after dark, as I had seen them do at previous national gatherings. There had been a consensus made somewhere that the new practice would be to end the day's discussion with an ohm when it was so dark that we can no longer see each other's eyes. The next morning and midday was the cleaning of the Aegean stable in A Camp that I have already described, and I finally moseyed over to the council late in the afternoon. Amid the side trackings, it seemed like two factions had emerged, those wanting to go along with whatever Alabama decided, and those wanting to go to Wisconsin. Some of the Wisconsinites were getting adamant, and it looked like they might be fixing to do a Zeus-like holdout. There was one moment of levity where a brother had asked to address the circle out of order because he was getting ready to leave the gathering. Then he gave a pitch for Wisconsin, but finally said he wanted to offer up a prayer to the Great Spirit that he tell us the place that was truly the best for the family at this time. As soon as he had said this, I was able to let a loud fart. The following morning I helped with the filling in of the giant compost pit at Chico's kitchen and spent some time on the trader's row. I didn't think it was really going to have much tangible effect, but I tacked to the bulletin board at Info a printout of something I had written about what I thought of Rainbow Council process in the computer, uh, in the computer lab back in Lawrence. It wasn't very complimentary. I had held back from posting it up until then. Then I went to Vision Council determined that I was going to deliberately disrupt it. As I approached the council, it was coincidentally just as I was hearing a woman saying, I want to go to Wisconsin, almost in a temper tantrum voice. I walked out in the middle of the circle and said in a loud and angry voice, I want to say that I think this council process is a complete and absolute farce. It is government by attrition. Some people started yelling at me, respect the feather, and the woman holding it waved it at me to emphasize that she was holding it. I tried to grab it out of her hand, and I was going to throw it on the ground and stomp on it if I had succeeded, but she drew it back under her other arm to shield it, and I stopped pursuing it any further. I was now satisfied that I had made a statement with my bit of guerrilla theater, and I turned around and stomped out of the circle.
As I was walking out onto the road from there, I thought to myself that this was the cue to leave the gathering. There was nothing left to delay me. I had not set up a stash tent because my van was so near so all my stuff was already in it. It was now simply a matter of changing into Babylon clothes, getting behind the wheel, and starting up the engine. I had enough money and gas to get back to Lawrence, and I did it non-stop. It was after dark when I crossed the Kansas border south of Kansas City and turned onto State Highway 10, the route to Lawrence, where I didn't have to pay a toll. I was slowed down by a thunderstorm that had winds of 70 miles per hour in spots and left a lot of broken tree limbs on the ground in Lawrence. I found out that the last week of August that the Kentucky Council finally consented to go along with the decision of the Alabama Council, which was for Wyoming. On a list of favorite gatherings arranged in order from most to least, this one might be nearer to the bottom than the top. But now I knew that the value of the gathering was in the lessons it could teach and the satisfactions you get from confronting problems and enduring. Even this one left me with some beautiful memories that I still keep running over and over again in my mind, memories that just get sweeter with each passing year. There's no such thing as a bad rainbow gathering, just some are better than others. I would definitely be coming back for national gatherings, but as events were to unfold, I would be skipping a year before my next one. Do you believe in magic? Yeah! That sparkling unknown a handle, which you know means nothing to the power that you cradle. There are no rules to the faithful. The instantaneous realization of joy awakens that magician throughout your castle. To bypass the gnome with your infinite tone, to reach for heaven and remember your home. I like the way this song goes. This song defines that I believe in me, the confidence of my energy, of my creative ability is my greatest tribute to God and eternity. Do you believe in me? What do your beliefs let you see? Tickle your beliefs constantly. Higher truths will come to thee. To tickle your reality, poke the place that is where your beliefs be. It is that simple, but I do not mean easy, although it could very much be. The future is in your hands. Ha! Believe the magic is in you. Look, the jewel of heaven on earth is time to leave all of the pain behind. It's time to shine like a piece of coal. The dull of old, because the dumb and divine, but I like a piece of coal. It other than takes thousands of years to spur her ha, ha, heart call in time. I see you shine. Ha! My precious. Uh, uh, oh, diamond of mine. So let's hear about your trip to the gathering. What else did you do to prepare? Mike's book was very helpful, but one thing that was a little scary is he said a lot of time there are bears at gatherings because a lot of the campsites are very remote. Hmm. And I took that to heart. So you'll hear about that in a few minutes. But I went to a sporting goods store and got some bear mace. They make bear mace. Yeah, they do. Oh, it's okay. specifically for bears. Right. I also wanted to prepare in terms of blending in to hippie culture. And because I'd never really been involved in hippie culture, I talked with a girlfriend, Betsy, who had been involved. I learned a lot about how the clothing reflects the history of the movement. I looked through all my clothes, and these that was the only hippie top I could come up with. What do you think? It's a good hippie top. <laughs> it is. And the reason it's good is because it looks very ethnic and peasant-like, and part of the hippie thing was hearkening back to sort of a simpler agrarian time where people had a very strong sense of culture and made their own clothes, things that 
feel like they would be from an earlier village time are good. It's kind of a turquoise color. It's a bright color, and then it's got red and white kind of zigzaggy smocking. Yeah, and it's mostly cotton. It's mostly cotton, a little spandex. Well, the spandex is a, a <laughs> modern extra, but that's okay. But it looks like cotton. Um, yeah, and the color, because hippie clothing was often very colorful, that, and that was meant to be in contrast to dra drab modern society where everyone is sort of colorless and looks alike and goes to work and lives life without much of a sense of joy. So color is good. So yes, actually this little turquoise smocked blouse <laughs> would be a good choice. I did good. So maybe we could find something to go with that. Yeah, we could yeah. look for a skirt that would go with that. Okay. Now, what do you think of this little sundress? Hippie or not hippie? Um, it could be because the it's that's the other thing is that the hippie part of being a hippie was also enjoying having a body. It was going back to sort of being more sensual and just and so it's small so it shows <laughs> off. <laughs> it's got little straps and it's a little short dress which would be good for um, summer as long as it was pretty warm and it's pretty it's bright colors with flowers on it and it's just a simple style so actually that would work as well. Oh good I'm excited. What do you think of these beads because hippies wear beads. The, the beads are great. They are? Oh, they're great. What do you, yeah. like, what do you like about them? Um, that they are, instead of it being a really sort of sophisticated necklace with expensive gems that would have been cut and done by a jeweler, this is something that could have been put together by some lady in a village, just stringing whatever beads that, that they had. Um, so colorful, but simple, not overly fancy or expensive. So yes, that's a very good choice, and it actually goes very nicely with that dress. Yeah, and they're, oh, I was thinking these are little hearts. They're not heart-shaped, but I got these in India. It's a strand of sort of purple stones, and then there's another strand of pink stones. It's good to bring up India. Because the hippie movement, people spent a lot of time in India because they were very into um, Hinduism and Eastern religions. And so the way of living sort of simply and spiritually and mystically out on the street was very much something they brought back from India. So anything Indian is good. There could be swimming. So I'm thinking of taking a, a little bikini bathing suit, yes or no? Yeah. That's fine. I, I mean, in the real hippie days, you would have gone swimming naked. <laughs> I don't think you're probably going to be doing that. <laughs> Is that a challenge? <laughs> um, I'm not like making it one. Double dog dare you? <laughs> I'm just commenting on the fact that I remember a lot of naked swimming because we thought bathing suits were stupid. <laughs> I don't know if you can smell it, but I have a little of this on. It's called, it's an uh, essential oil. It's called Flirtation. And it's got patchouli in it. <laughs> that was the hippie fragrance for women. Yeah, no, I don't know why patchouli was so popular, but everyone I knew wore it all the time. So that's good. Okay. <laughs> so there's one more stop I have before I head up to the Rainbow Gathering. I'm in a recreational equipment store because I'd like to get some of that uh, pepper spray or mace. When I read Mike Nyman's book, he said that bears are a frequent occurrence at the Rainbow Gathering. And I thought, well, it might be good to have some of this. So I'm going to see if I can find somebody here in the store to help me. 
my name is Steele Lavelle. I, I have worked here for 12 years and I'm a product and service expert. I read this book about the rainbow gathering. He said that bear sightings are kind of frequent. Do you think I'll run into any bears? I doubt it. Rats. Well, <laughs> I still think I want to get some pepper spray just in case. Is there anything else I could use it on besides bears? I mean, can you use it on? What else would be up there that I might be able to use it on? Uh, possibly mountain lion, but it, it's specifically made for bear. Uh, you're not going to want to use it on people or anything like that because it's just so so powerful. So just be ready with it for a bear, but like I said, I doubt if you're going to even see a bear. With that many people up there, the bear will be scared away. So where is it? Let's go find it. Okay. We actually have to keep it behind the counter because uh, in one of the stores, a customer sprayed some and the whole store had to be evacuated. It's that strong. Oh my gosh. So it's called Counter Assault. It's a grizzly tough pepper spray. I guess the main ingredient is capsation. Capsation, I think, is um, chili pepper or something, mm -hmm. isn't it? I believe it is. Yes, it is. Uh, may cause irreversible eye damage if sprayed in the eye at close range. Now, that's a pretty big uh, can right there. How do I carry that around? Uh, we sell an accessory holster. You can put it in a holster and carry it with you. Oh, my gosh. Where are those? Let me go find those. Hang on a minute. <laughs> This actually looks kind of dangerous. It's got like a pin that you pull, maybe sort of looks like a hand grenade on the top. Oh, this is good news. Glow in the dark safety wedge. Well, that's excellent. So I don't accidentally pull it when I'm rummaging for my microphone or something. This product has a range of up to 30 feet. The canister empties in approximately 7.2 seconds. Oh my god, we're talking about one bear application. Hopefully I won't run into two bears. I wonder how much it costs. $44.95. Oh my gosh! And and how much is this holster? Uh, $12.95. Wow, maybe I'll just put it in my pocket. Alright, still, thanks so much for your help. I appreciate it. My pleasure. That's it. I got my bear spray. I'm ready to go. So we'll hear Suzanne's radio diary at the gathering right after this break. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio. Listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls with Suzanne Kreider, who's leading us through her journey into the 2009 Rainbow Gathering. The Rainbow Gatherings have been held since 1972 on public lands across the U.S., temporary intentional communities meant to promote peace, harmony, and freedom. 
It's Friday morning, July 3rd. I was going to get up early and get on the road, and when I woke up, it was raining. It doesn't rain. This is the desert. <laughs> I fell back asleep, but luckily the phone rang. It was my producer and best friend, Paul, offering to let me take his four-wheel drive, RAV4. Whew, what a gift. I've got a 1999 Ford Escort, and I was kind of worried about not only the rain and the mud and the washboard effect on these um, forest service roads, but also I heard that it was a pretty steep incline getting up to the site, so this is fantastic. As I'm getting ready to go, I'm feeling a mixture of things. Excitement, a little dread, and some fear. Kind of like a combination of Christmas morning and a trip to the dentist. I've been getting these email updates from the Rainbow Press crew. I got another one uh, on Wednesday. It was titled, Third Barrage of Rainbow Gathering Tickets to be Heard Wednesday. It looks like there's another 76 family members who are expected to appear in New Mexico Federal Magistrate Court in Albuquerque for mandatory hearings on tickets issued by the Forest Service. What's happening is the incident command team is giving out these tickets and requiring that people come back to Albuquerque, which is a hassle. I think it's about 200 miles round trip. It's unusual because usually when you get a ticket like that, you can mail in your payment. What I'm really curious about is it says now that people are feeling so hassled by the Forest Service Incident Command Team that the U.S. Marshals have come in. The press release reads, now that U.S. Marshals have been accompanying the Incident Command Team on their patrols throughout the gathering, the harassment has decreased and mostly consists of their continued presence and their daily checkpoints at locations on the way in and out of the gathering. Hmm. I don't know what y'all think about this, but to me, it doesn't seem like a good use of taxpayer dollars to be paying the law, to be watching the law, <laughs> hand out tickets to muddy people who are trying to keep their license plates clean. I'm really interested in this. I really want to talk to a U.S. Marshal and another one of the incident command team about how this is all working out, because I sure hope they don't need to bring in some more law enforcement officials to watch the marshals watch the command team. <laughs> okay, I'm going to jump in the shower. It's probably the last time I'm going to get one for a couple days. And then I'm going to pack up and head out. Here I am just arriving in Cuba. You know, it doesn't really look that busy. I'm surprised. Um, probably not too much more than regular 4th of July traffic coming in for the weekend. I think what I'd like to do is stop in one of the local establishments and see how things are going. See if they're getting um, a lot of rainbow people coming in. Cuba's on New Mexico Highway 550, which is a beautiful, used to be two lane, now it's a four lane highway that goes from Bernalillo right off of um, I-25, which is the north-south corridor in New Mexico, and straight up to the northwest. 
The sky has been clearing up on my drive. It took me about an hour to get here from Albuquerque. Huge, beautiful, puffy cloud configurations are moving to expose bright blue sky. But off in the distance, over the mountains, it's still quite gray. And that's where I'm headed. standing outside the food mart at the uh, local Phillips 66 gas station. We're going to go in and see how things have been going for these folks. Restrooms for customers only. Wow. I'll go pick up some snacks before I head up. Mm. Hey, how about a grandma's oatmeal raisin and some Full cashews. Is it my turn? Oh. Hey, I'm from the University of New Mexico, their radio station in Albuquerque. Yeah. My name's Suzanne. I'm wondering if I could just interview you real quick for the radio program I'm doing on The Gathering. Okay. <laughs> Is that okay sure. for broadcast? I just need for you to... <laughs> yeah, it'll be really fast. I just need for you to say your full name. Okay. Uh, Danny Herrera. Okay, great. So, Danny, I don't want to interrupt. How much do I owe you? Uh, $2.99. Okay. So, I'm just curious. How's it been going with people coming up for The Gathering? It's been going good. It's okay? Yeah. So is business up? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, not that much. You guys had any problems? No, no problems at all. Huh. How do you feel about these folks coming into your community? I like the folks. I just don't like all the law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> I've already stopped at a couple other places and asked for some people to interview, but <laughs> not very many people have been willing to talk to me. I think people are feeling uncomfortable about talking about the gathering. I'm wondering if there's more going on. I've been in town just a few minutes and seen several state police cars. And it feels a bit tense. I think I'm going to get on the road and head up the mountain. I've been striking out with the local people in Cuba, so I thought I'd stop here at the Santa Fe National Forest Ranger Station. This is the... Uh, Cuba Ranger Station. I'm going to go inside and see if anybody will talk to me here. Yes, uh, Denise Otaviano. I'm an information officer with the Forest Service. Denise, um, how have you felt about how the gathering is getting organized and how the interaction with the Forest Service is going? I think this year in particular it's gone really well. We had a lot of planning that was done ahead of time with people that were planning on going to the to the gathering and we were able to work out a lot of differences, a lot of concerns, and on the ground, things have been going really well. Um, we've been monitoring the kitchens and camps for proper sanitation and resource impacts, and whenever there's been concerns, we've been able to work it out just by talking to each other and not writing as many violation notices. So it's been going really well. What kind of concerns have you had that you had to work out? Uh, sanitation and cleanliness in kitchens, um, placement of camps and kitchens, um, making sure people aren't disturbing wildlife habitat or archaeological sites, or um, if they might be um, causing damage to riparian areas, um, things like that. Our show is about making peace, and I'm curious what kind of strategies are important from your side that are helping you communicate clearly with the family. I think talking a lot beforehand, 
really um, worked to our benefit and to the benefit of the people going to the Rainbow Gathering. Um, we worked out a lot of concerns ahead of time. We talked about things that we just couldn't, um, we couldn't bend our rules for. Um, we made some clear responsibilities and roles, what we would be responsible for, what the Rainbows would be responsible for, and we're holding each other to those to those responsibilities. And I think that we've been able to get assistance from the Rainbows in working out a lot of those differences and a lot of those concerns. Like when we've had people that have refused to move their tent or, or get out of a riparian area, we've been able to go to them and said, okay, according to what we agreed upon, you said you would not do this. So they've gone to their own people and said, you do need to move. You need to do what the Forest Service is saying. So just a lot of cooperation, a lot of communication has really helped. How early were people from the family here working with you? Um, as early as last fall. Um, because after last year's gathering, they did identify New Mexico as the state where they would be going. And people were coming in to talk with us as early as last fall. So we've had a lot of contact with um, certain individuals. Um, and the permit was signed, and I have to say that that really helps because things have gone so smoothly since the permit was signed compared to other years when they refused to sign a permit. And they've said themselves, you know, this year is really different. Things are going so well this year, and the cooperation is a lot better, and I think it has a lot to do with the permit. What does the permit mean to the Forest Service? The anyone, any group of 75 or more that wants to um, recreate on the National Forest has to get a free special use permit. It's called a non-commercial group use permit. We um, require anyone church groups, um, people who want to have big weddings, anyone who wants to use the forest non-commercially, they have to get a permit. And what it does is it, it places restrictions on time, place, and manner, meaning um, we have to set a restriction on how long you're going to be there, where you're going to be, and the manner in which you're going to impact the land. And that's really the purpose of it, and that's why we try to work with them on making sure they're not going to disturb an archaeological site or, or ruin a wildlife habitat area, things like that. But the purpose for them being there, we, have nothing, we do not infringe upon that at all. They have the right to be there for any reason, religious purposes, political reasons, and we don't infringe upon those rights at all. We just have to work with them on getting them to, to sign a permit so that we can um, legally have them there and also work on trying to be there that'll have um, a less impact on the land. In your mind, if they hadn't signed the permit, how would that have changed how you interact with them? If they hadn't signed a permit, it would have been an illegal gathering. We'd have to manage it that way, with them being there illegally. And um, there is an, um, a law enforcement presence that is there every year to making sure that they're there legally and abiding by all fate and, uh, federal and state laws. So um, it, it is quite a bit different and I think this year things went much more smoothly. There have been news reports that there have been over 200 citations, some of them for offenses like a dirty license tag, but some of them have been serious offenses. Talk about what those have been. You know, there was probably one ticket written maybe for that. I can't even confirm it. Those minor things have been the few citations we've written. 
the most citations we've written have been for drug offenses um, and for alcohol offenses. And we've also had um, over six felony arrests for assaulting police officers, um, drug charges. So um, there's a lot of drugs that people bring to a gathering like this. And um, we've gotten everything from marijuana to heroin. And that's a concern to us, is the drug use. And um, the drugs are sometimes being used by people who have violent histories or commit violent crimes. Um, there was a stabbing that occurred a couple of weeks ago. There was a rape. Um, we've heard other reports of fighting. Um, and you know, we want everyone to have a peaceful gathering. And the people that do cause a lot of the problems are the minority. Most of the people there are very friendly and just peacefully want to gather, but because there's people there that are not so peaceful, we want to protect the other participants from them and from what they bring to a peaceful gathering like this. I have just been in town about 10 minutes, but I have noticed a lot of state police cars. And I've also tried to interview local people here in Cuba, and they've been reticent to talk with me. Do you have a sense of how it's affecting the local community? Um, we've been talking with them um, a lot. We go and visit them um, um, every couple days. It, there's mixed emotions. Um, some of the restaurants and businesses here have been making a lot of money, and they're real happy the rainbows are here. Other businesses, like the convenience stores, um, have been having some problems with them. Um, stealing paper products out of the bathrooms, um, eating out of the trash, um, pen handling, loitering, that type of thing. And so they've, they've actually had to call um, the local police department for, on them for several occasions. So it's, it's definitely mixed. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like the permit is very important, but the permit doesn't solve all the problems. It just helps. Would it be accurate to say that the permit helps the Forest Service feel more engaged, like they want to work with rather than against the rainbows? We always want to work with the rainbows. Even when they don't sign a permit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you know, what's important to us is helping them have a gathering that is legal, safe, and has the minimal impact on the land. That's our goal regardless. But signing the permit makes it a lot easier for us to interact and manage the gathering. And it's just simply signing a permit and it's free. Okay. So just break that down for me, Denise. What makes it easier to interact with them because of the permit? Uh, again, if they don't sign the permit, it's an illegal gathering and we have to manage it that way. Okay, got it. Great. Well, could you give me some directions on how to get up there? Uh, you would take uh, Highway 126 to Forest Road 103. So here I am on, uh, wow, this must be, oh my gosh, I'm pulling into the base camp, it looks like. Um, it's been about, there it is, the welcome home sign. Oh, folks, there's a Forest Service truck in front of me. I'm not really sure what to do. It looks like this is where the loop ends. So somebody's going back down. Gee, this was not a very difficult drive at all. Um, the road luckily has dried since last night. And um, it wasn't too poorly washboarded. Beautiful, tall, evergreen trees. We are at the top. There was about a 13-mile uphill climb there. I was in front of the Forest Service truck for a while, but decided to pull over. 
I also let a state police pass me. I did see one, um, it looked like an interaction there with three Forest Service cars. Now there's a gentleman coming up with a green hat. It looks like he's going to instruct me where to go. Hello. Hi. Hi. Parking is 300 yards down the way, okay. and we have to shuttle everybody into the gathering from here. Okay. I'm with the media, mm -hmm. and I believe there was media parking. I have a lot of gear. That's uh, what no. I'm we barely have parking for the people. Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> um, how far is it going to be to hike in? Uh, we're shuttling people in, and it's oh. seven miles. Oh, I see what's going on. Okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention because um, I know, thought I, I was media parking. So Right. No, yeah, we're not that sophisticated. Well, um, I have actually, I met with the press crew. Do you know about that? Because I, I met with the press crew and they told me that I was going to be able to park close okay, up. You, all right, I'll tell you what then. Why don't you drive all the way on through? Okay. And if you did talk to somebody, then tell them, hey, we're press. I talked to somebody. They told me to come in. Okay. Okay, are you sure I'm that's great. okay? Uh, no, but... No. <laughs> What's your <laughs> name? the best we got. I'm David. Okay, David, thank you. Oh, welcome home. Okay, thank you. Wow, it feels tense already. All right, um, gee, hmm. Now I feel guilty, but, um, I'd rather be going in. All right, so there's a whole group of people. Looks like they're waiting for a shuttle. I'm going to go onward. Wow, we've got kids running out into the street here, and this is intense. I'm going to talk to this gentleman. He's got... Uh, Hello, how are you? Hello, good. How are you? Very fine, thank you. Are um, you looking for a place to park? Yes, actually, I'm with the press. And, oh, um, my goodness. What kind of press? <laughs> radio. Could you pull over a little bit here? Because sure. I don't want you to mess up the... Well, this could take a little bit of time. I'm a little bit... I'm actually working right now. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm busy right now. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the people in charge have some kind of rainbow-colored piece of clothing on. This fellow I just talked to had a rainbow tie. I see a woman with a rainbow belt. That's a good way to identify helpers. <laughs> and yes, it just seems like there are cars parked everywhere. I'm not sure if he's going to be coming back to me. I'm wondering if I should go talk with her. No, actually, could I talk with you a minute? I'm um, I've got to get these cars off the road. If you want to pull over, somebody might. Okay. Hi, welcome home. I think I'm just going to keep going. I think that's what I was instructed to do by the press crew. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And uh, I don't see anybody yelling at me that I'm doing anything wrong, even though <laughs> I feel like I am. Well, there's a cute little dog. Okay, so there's a lot of people. It looks like some people are planning on hiking in. Some people are just on the road. Um, and I'm going up a little bit of a hill here. It looks like their ideal situation was getting people to park back there, which was a relatively flat area. And I have snuck through the crack. There are signs up in bright orange paint that say no parking. One that said no parking next 4.5 miles. It looks like it's going to be pretty empty then for the rest of the drive in. The family has been working closely with the Forest Service to identify areas that um, are archaeological sites or 
our more sensitive environmental uh, areas. And it looks like the family's done a really good job. Wow, this is gorgeous. What a gorgeous place. Just giant evergreen trees, as far as you can see. There have been a couple people walking on the road, a couple hitchhikers. There was one man I passed with just a small day pack on. It looked like he was much at peace back on the land. It's really gorgeous. There are a few felled trees. It's very quiet. The sky is clearing a little bit. It was looking quite ominous as I was driving up the mountain. Very dark, actually black clouds. And I thought, I better get up there quick so I can get my tent up. It's close to three o'clock now. I had planned on getting here much earlier today, but that's okay. I think it worked out well given the earth an opportunity to dry out a little bit before I put my tent up. You can see some... Just hear a few birds chirping. It's a windy road, but not hilly. We really are on the top. It must be just a massive massive space that they've identified for this gathering. As I was pulling in, that first gentleman I spoke with was explaining that they are shuttling people from that welcome center um, to the actual gathering site. He said there is no more parking available out here. We'll see what it's like when I get there. Beautiful bright purple wildflowers everywhere against the green grass and trees. The air has a very fresh feeling because it did rain quite a bit last night and they're expecting more rain I think over the weekend. Hello sir. Hi. Hi, how are you? Doing wonderfully. How are you doing? Oh, you're so awesome. <laughs> I try, I try. <laughs> I'm with the media and I was given this map uh -huh. that um, I'm not sure exactly where we are. If you, if you We know. are here. Oh my gosh. So so she told me that the media parking was down there. Down there? Is that correct? Yep, that's right here. This way. Okay, so it's about how many more miles? Um that let's see. Right here is yeah. a mile and a half. Okay, awesome. Mm -hmm. So I just so, keep going? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. You're kind. People with guitars, people with no shirts, people with tie-dye t-shirts, people waving, people with hats, people on crutches, people with beat-up cars, people with fancy cars, people with backpacks. I can see now, and I'm probably not even have not even begun to taste the amount of effort that goes into building the infrastructure for this three hikers on the road here with carrying their water in, baby in a baby carriage. This would be the probably one of the last points they hope that people will be parking at. Now the cars are gone and I am seeing people walking in with jugs of water. The family does ask that you bring in water, but it is difficult to do if you're going to be staying, if you're going to be staying a couple days. We are at a pretty high altitude, I believe, at least 10,000 feet. People who are coming in from out of state 
would have a little bit of a challenge adjusting to that altitude and so water is really important. Somebody's slowing me down here. <laughs> Hello, sir. You going, lady? Pardon me. Um, I, yeah, I was. Oh, that's not a microphone, is it? Yes, I'm with the media. Oh, you're talking? No. No. Turn it off. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. I wonder. I need Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have found a camp. <laughs> yes. I think that was the a camp welcome zone because those people were definitely inebriated. <laughs> Everybody's so sweet though. I just want to hug them and kiss them after they take a shower. Now I've found more cars along the road. Yeah, I definitely got to slow down here. I'm sure this is such a wonderful experience for people who've come so many years in a row because it really is a family reunion. In terms of keeping my own peace vibe on, I'm, I'm noticing all the guilt I'm feeling about um, <laughs> getting special parking. I feel um, overprivileged, but it's pretty fun. Folks, there are just cars everywhere. I can see why they stop people at the entrance because now it's just an endless stream. One side of the road, if you can visualize a national park with trees and gullies and someplace edges where people can precariously park their cars. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. License tags from all over Wisconsin, Colorado, um, Arizona, California, Oregon, Washington, Arkansas, Pennsylvania, Texas. These are just all in a row. Hey! Hey! Oh, that's so sweet. He got so excited to see me. Love you. Love you. <laughs> I was going to say, I, gee, I don't know if people get this kind of welcome when they go home. I do. My family's so sweet. People get excited about seeing you. Thank you. I like having this microphone because it sort of semi-explains why I'm getting to cheat. <laughs> I must have a lot of strange cheating energy. Hi. Who are you? I'm Suzanne. I'm Suzanne. Who are you? I'm with the media, and I was given this by the media folks that I was supposed to come in and park in the media hey, parking. Hey, this is the media. Here, okay. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey, I got no. <laughs> this is media. Shuttle. Did you want to talk to me? I don't know. Um, what's your name? My name is Gigi. I'm one of the gate attendants. All I do is direct traffic. The only thing I tell people to do is put uh, seatbelts on. Okay. Make sure they go five miles an hour. Okay. Please, are you buckle up, ma'am? That's the first thing I'm asking. Yes, sir, I am buckled uh, up. Is it okay? Hey, this is the media person. Wow. Told her to go five miles an hour. Buckle up. Okay, got it, Gigi. Hello, sir. Can I just keep I'm going? Not a sir. Oh, yes, you are. Well, hey, I'm, I'm a just. I'm a Vietnam vet, but I, I'm not a sir. I don't swear at you. Oh, oh, okay. Um, How you doing, sis? Hey, doll. What's your name? Camera? I'm Suzanne. What's your name? My name is Shuttle. 
Shuttle, you're awesome. Uh, I'm with the media, so can I just keep going? I'm sure, not okay. a problem, but let people know that you're recording. Yes, I will. Because some people get uptight about it. Oh, oh, I ask everybody. I'm sorry I didn't ask your permission. Yeah, uh, no, it's fine. The federal government has a dictionary of pictures of me since 1972, and I'm not a criminal, so there's nothing they can do with me anyway. Okay, awesome. Love you. Love you. This is what's so great about <laughs> nobody's in charge. It's like I keep wanting to look for somebody who's in charge, but nobody's in charge. There is no boss. I have, I have this. All of a sudden, I have a fear that I'm going to drive right by the gathering. <laughs> it's just cars and cars and cars. There was a space right there, but you know what? I'm still going to keep looking for. Hey there, I'm still going to keep looking for media parking. Um, I think according to my math. Hello there gentleman with a purple flower behind his ear. That was the right ear. In Hawaii, uh, a woman says if she's available or unavailable, according to which ear she places a flower behind. I can never remember if it's right is available or unavailable. He probably is not familiar with that local custom. Here's a gentleman pulling a yellow wagon, which is a very clever technique. He's got a plastic tub and a big box that says marshmallows. So I'm thinking he's going to be a really... That's okay, no problem. And there's a guy with a big sack of flour on his back. So they must be tr transporting the food for a cookout tonight, I'm hoping. Hello. Holy cow, there are a lot of cars, a lot of people. There's a little BMW that looks like it's about to fall down a ravine. <laughs> that was really funny when Shuttle took my, my yellow map and put it under my windshield. It just looks so official. It's so funny what we decide is official and unofficial. And I have had some anxiety just looking for who is in charge. Whoever's in charge will make me feel peaceful. Oh boy, isn't that cookie? <laughs> I'm in charge, you're in charge, each of us is in charge. It is a gorgeous day. If you've never been to New Mexico, New Mexico has the most stirring, enlivening, luminescent blue sky. Today it's mixed with some white clouds, but the air is so fresh up here. There are some storm clouds moving in. Hey, what are you doing? Hey there, I'm looking for the media parking. Could y'all point me that way? I'm Suzanne. I'm with Peace Talks Radio. Are you really? We're so happy that you're here. Oh, you're so sweet. Welcome home. Oh, I'm so excited. Sister, it's nice. Oh my gosh, you're, you're a doll. I work for, um, is it okay? Do you guys want to be taped? It doesn't matter. Okay, because I, I need to get your full names. What are, what are you What are you looking for now? Well, um, I got this. So could, could you guys give me that? Somebody somebody in A-Camp took my map, but <laughs> I was given <laughs> Bonnie, you don't look like you'd hang well, out there. Well, right to... now you're right here. Oh, did I miss the whole party? No, no, there's a trail that goes right down here to Kid Village, right here. Oh, you guys, how did That's I miss... That's the main trailhead right up over here. How did I miss media parking? Well, probably because it was all parked in. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll get you right over here. Okay, but I got a lot of gear. No, it don't matter. Is there a we camp can... close by that I can... Well, I... He... Really? We're right here. 
And I was going to get you right over here. Okay. Trust me, this is the safest place. Here now. Okay. So let me get you over here. It's the Love and Evans, baby. All right. Oh, the Love and Evans. I heard. I read about you guys. Oh my gosh. Now I'm going to guide you in. So just pull up and then back in. Okay. Pull in and back. I don't. I don't like this. I wanted to be in media parking, but when you're at the gathering, you go with the flow. Oh, you guys, I missed the whole media parking thing. I have to deal. I have to deal with my sadness a little bit. Where the heck am I? And where are the authorities? <laughs> that guy just walked away from me. <laughs> you are on your own, sister. Now he was a really nice guy. He had a <sighs> great big wide-brimmed hat, shirtless, dark tan. Wonder what happened to my love and ovens girlfriend. Help! I am on my own. <laughs> I would be Jade Spratt, the doggy mommy, I suppose. Excellent. <laughs> Everyone Great. here has, you know, sort of uh, monikers, I suppose, you know. Right. And I think that uh, that they evolve. I, from what I understand, sort of like in Native American tribalism where you're given a name at birth and then you mature and the tribe gives you a new name and so on and so forth. I see people's monikers evolving as they do things that are noteworthy and such, you know. They uh, they get new names or nicknames or things that reflect what they do. The and say thank you. Or you could do that. You could name yourself, I suppose. Oh, I thought they were different, self- Different members of the family might go. Oh man, you've you've gone over the edge. Your name's Crispy now, you know, <laughs> or something like that. You know? one, one kid, I guess, was up baking donuts all night, so they um, they named him Master Donut something or other because they were so impressed by his culinary skills. So he got a a special nickname relative to that. <laughs> And sometimes they just come by the wayside. There was a, a young man who I don't know his name, but him and I helped to put up the panels of the sweat lodge teepee in the main meadow. But he was so agile in climbing the poles barefoot and manipulating the ropes with his toes that he probably will forever be known as Monkey Boy. And that's what we call him, Monkey Boy. <laughs> Is this your first gathering? Absolutely. I I wanted to go last year, but I had a commitments that took me elsewhere. So even though I've known a lot of people who do this, this is the first opportunity I've had to go to a, an event, a, a regional event, let alone a, a local event. So it's a national event. Yes, it's a national. It's a national event. It's the big one. If you're going to do it, do it right. There's even international. I've never been to international. A friend of ours went to Brazil a few years ago. Well, last year's one in Wyoming was considered an international, wasn't it? I don't know. I thought no, it was. That was the national, I think. Yeah. That where they had the problems. Come. I'm sorry, what? Where they, they had the problems in Wyoming? Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. the, the incident that, uh, that everybody's still so troubled by happened last year in Wyoming. So maybe it was a good thing I wasn't there. I don't know. I guess you're always where you're supposed to be. Right. <laughs> what are you looking forward to in terms of the gathering regarding peace? Well, I think personally, just well, for me, is it's fascinating to um, to see different perspectives on how to deal with situations. Um, 
of, of keeping peace and enacting peace and the people within the family, how they deal with problems and confrontations is a little Not bit... that type of peace. I know, but I'm just saying I'm learning more about how to generate peace within myself and my friends. You know, that whole thing about let it begin with me or whatever as they say. It sounds so cliche. But actually there's a lot of people here who, who deal with things differently than, you know, maybe mainstream society does. So like, if you can't have it here, where are you going to have it? If like, you can't lead by example. Yeah. Right, like what? What have you seen that's new and different to you? Well, we had, um, you know, alcohol is discouraged, but we had a gentleman that probably had a little bit too much to drink. So instead of, you know, escorting him on down the road, five people just sat and babysat him. We had a, a, a situation where some younger kids who weren't keeping their camp maybe tidy enough, it was suggested, well, why don't we all have a house cleaning crew and we'll go over and we'll do it for them once and show them what we expect. And that way they have the opportunity to do better the next time, you know. But let's, let's as a group, set an example for them and show them a, a different way and what we're about. And I thought it was kind of refreshing, you know, to just think a little outside the box and problem solve from some different perspectives. Right. <laughs> hey guys, what you got on the wish list? Coffee, propane, water, water's good, ladles, large pot with lid, fresh veggies, fruit. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. If I can find anything you're looking for, I'll bring it back this way. Thank you so much. Nice looking kitchen. Yes, this is sweet home, Alabama. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it's just beautiful. There's a baby across the stream. Oh, it's amazingly beautiful. <laughs> so we're walking through Kitty Village. It's just fantastic. Tents, tie-dye, people. And people are waiting in line right now for some food. Walking out into the main valley. How many people do you think that is, Jack? Uh, right here, right now? Yeah. Oh, about maybe 2,500. There's probably about 5,000 people here right now, maybe six. You know, and they're throughout the woods and the kitchens preparing meals. They have a giant chest set here. Laundry, I see. Uh, yeah, laundry lines. diapers. Kids' clothes. So what year was your first gathering? Oh, God, 16 from the day, what would that be? <laughs> so you did 16 in that a row? Back in, that was back in... 83? Uh, no, that was back in uh, 86, 87. How has it changed? Actually, it's gotten better. I mean, there are, there are a little bit less people coming right now, but it's gotten a lot better. I mean, more people are in touch with everything around them now. You know, and they take it.